My name is Gavin, one of the pastors here. And happy Father's Day, fellas. Those of you who are dads, appreciate you. And uh, thankful for my dad, thankful for the dads in the room, thankful to be a dad is a good gift. Open your Bibles to John chapter 10, verses 22 through 30. We have nine more verses this morning, and the theme continues on from last week of Jesus being a shepherd and us being his sheep. So we're going to talk more about shepherd and sheep this morning. By the way, do you know what they call a sheep with no legs? A cloud. It's all right. I told that joke to a sheep once, and he said, that's bad. So I just, hey, it's Father's Day. Let me get away with a little dad humor. <laughs> you, you know it's summer months at City Light when Gavin goes to, like, pastor jokes. It's just like, I need a sermon intro. Here we go. Okay, sheep. Uh, in many ways, the sermon is really part two of last week's sermon, which is the theme, theme of Jesus being a shepherd, us being his sheep. And what Chris taught us last week is that you can learn a lot about our relationship with Jesus and understanding the relationship between a shepherd and his sheep. Now, the way that a shepherd relates to its sheep is very unique in that it's one of utter and complete dependence, the sheep to its shepherd. This is not a partnership right? A partnership is when two parties come together in an agreement. They work towards a common good and they share in the benefits of their work. So my wife sells vintage clothes and for part of her business, she has a partner, someone that does buying. He finds the stuff, she markets it, sells it. They share in the profits. It's a partnership. They're each doing something. A shepherd is not a partner with a sheep. It's very much a one-way relationship wherein the shepherd says, come to me, let me take care of all of your needs, and you can relax securely and safely in my good care. I've got it all covered. Now listen, all of us in varying ways and degrees have been in search of this shepherd. Many of us have wanted to get married or got married thinking, alas, I have found the person who will complete me. They will give themselves to me completely, and I will be complete, and I can relax, and everything will be taken care of, and surprise, (laughs) they don't do that. Some of us have thought our parents was that person. They are going to lay themselves out and provide for me unconditionally, and I can relax because they've they've got it all taken care of. Surprise, they don't do that. Some of us have found friends or gotten jobs or voted in leaders thinking this will be the one who will take care of everything and now I can relax. I've seen it as a pastor. People will approach the pastors from time to time and and they're essentially thinking, if I can just tell you this, I know I will have no more troubles because you'll bring clarity and we'll all be taken care of. And surprise, I am horrible as an ultimate shepherd. (laughs) I'll pray for you. You'll figure it out. You'll do great. I don't know. Yeah, I'm very underwhelming as an ultimate chief shepherd. But some of you would say, well, yes, Gavin, I know the kind of person you're describing. Uh, All of my wife's friends are that way. And my brother-in-law is very needy on other people as well. But I, you know, I'm emotionally mature and well-adjusted. And I know that no one can provide for my needs except for me. And, you know, now, admittedly, you're maybe less annoying and of a nuance, nu, uh, nuisance to society than many other people. But in saying that, who have you decided is your ultimate shepherd? Yourself. 
And invariably, whether we look externally or internally, we are all sheep in search of a shepherd. And until we realize that the shepherd that we are looking for is the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, we will be restless and unhappy because no other shepherd will lead us, Psalm 23, to green pastures and still waters. But Jesus comes along in our text this morning and he says, alas, I am the shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I'm the only shepherd that will lead you to what you are looking for, where you can finally relax in my good care, and I will take care of you. And so this morning, as we once again look at this familiar theme, I want us to rejoice. Church, we have a good shepherd. And two, that we would say, you know, I'm going to follow the shepherd with my whole heart because he's the only one worth following. As we take a look at our text this morning, here's how we're going to break it down. We've got nine verses, okay, 22 through 30. And I want to start off by giving a little context that's important that we see in here. Then I want to give a little theological caveat to deal with some of these verses. And then I want to look at three benefits to being in the fold of God. Three benefits to having Jesus, the good shepherd, as your shepherd. And so the context, a little caveat, and then three benefits of being sheep to our chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. And so here we go. Look with me at verse 22. This is how our text today starts. It says, at that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. Okay, let's stop right there, because here's where we get the context. Okay, uh, John goes out of his way to let us know where this is happening and why Jesus is teaching this. So 22, you know, my wife said, this is kind of a flyover verse. We studied in our city group this week. She said, "You you just read through this to get to the good stuff. But Listen, friends, we live in a flyover state, and we know that they're important. Amen? So let me drill into the flyover, because I think you're going to see there's some amazing texture in these verses when you understand the context. And God put it in here for a reason. And so notice it says in verse 22 that this takes place at the time of the Feast of Dedication. We know that particular celebration in our common language as Hanukkah. It's the winter celebration where the Jews celebrating the cleansing of the temple and the rededication of the temple back to the Lord. And it stems all the way back to about 160 BC where an evil Syrian ruler came in. He was you know, sympathetic to the Greeks. He kicked out everyone from the temple. He desecrated the temple of God in Jerusalem by sacrificing a pig on the altar. He erected statues to pagan gods and Greek goddesses and the whole bit there in, Jer- uh, in Jerusalem. And then a a, a warrior, the son of a priest, came along. His name was Judas Maccabees. And with a small army, he kicked out the bad guys. He reclaimed the temple. They cleansed it and rededicated it. And so every year, the people of God would come and they would celebrate the Feast of Dedication, or Hanukkah, when the temple was recommitted to the Lord. Now, at this ceremony, they had the same liturgy every year. They would read the same scripture. And what they would read at this festival is Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34 is a passage that criticized Israel's bad shepherds, and it promised that God himself would come as a shepherd to lead his people. Now, so they're getting ready to read this passage, or they've been reading it as a part of their liturgy. But also remember, it's the Feast of Dedication, and it's in the temple, verse 22 says, Ever since we've been reading and studying John, every time Jesus goes into the temple, uh, there's about to be a fight. You remember chapter 2 when Jesus first walked into the temple for the first time? What happens? They have tea, give some high fives, hugs. No. 
Jesus comes in, he flips the table, he drives out the money changers with whips, right? He cleanses the temple. Why? Because Jesus was furious. The very shepherds of Israel, the leaders of God's people who were supposed to lift up God and serve people, what did they do? They lifted up themselves on the backs of other people. And they robbed glory from God and they manipulated and they controlled and they coerced people. And this was the center of religion in the day. And so Jesus and, and the religious leaders in the temple have always been feuding. And so we know from the context, Jesus is in the temple. That should be like, okay, it's about to go down. And we understand the context of what they're doing. They're celebrating the cleansing of the temple and Jesus coming as the good shepherd. And listen to what they would have been reading. And as I read it, imagine what it would have looked like for Jesus then to step on the scene and say, I am the good shepherd. Here's what they would have read. Ezekiel 34, 1 through 4. Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. What an indictment to the shady shepherds of Israel. And now look at the promise that comes in the same passage in verse 11 and 12. It says, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I... I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. So this is the context. The people of God, many of whom are the religious leaders of the day, are in the temple celebrating the cleansing of the temple from the shady leaders that God himself would come, that Jesus comes and says, I am the good shepherd. I have come to rescue my sheep. Imagine the indictment that this would have imposed on the religious leaders of Jesus's day. Not only is Jesus claiming to be God, the good shepherd of the Old Testament, and he is, he's also saying, you are the dirty shepherds of Ezekiel 34, and I have come to cleanse the temple and lead with righteousness and justice. Isn't that amazing? As we read now about the sheep and the shepherd, it just adds texture to this text and all that Jesus is claiming and saying. But before we move on into the next verses, I, I think there's application even here in the context. As a quick aside, let me just say, by way of application, listen. If you've ever been abused, manipulated, controlled, coerced, felt under the thumb of a religious leader who said, you know, I'm God's leader and you get in line because I'm your shepherd. I want you to see in this passage that Jesus is with you. He is for you and he stands opposed to and against anyone that would abuse and manipulate people in the name of God. Amen. That is our shepherd. And I want you to see a Jesus who came and said, I love you enough that I will come and be your shepherd. To not leave the flock because of abusive, oppressive, power-hungry, controlling religious people, and there are many, but that you would stay in the fold, and I myself, Jesus Christ, will come and will be a shepherd unto you. That's who this good shepherd is. Now look at the next verses. Look how this shakes up. Look how the religious audience responds in verse 24. 
It says, so the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you were the Christ, tell us plainly. That's not a sincere question, by the way. Remember, they have tried to stone him on three different occasions in just the last few months because of his claim to be God. Verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. So Jesus says, listen, you know my claim. Just a chapter before he said, before Abraham was, I am. They've tried to stone him several different times. He says, not only have I claimed it, but I've backed it up by my works, which validate my claim of being sent from the Father. So up until this point, he's turned water into wine. He healed the official son at Capernaum. He's healed a paralytic at Bethesda. He fed 5,000 human beings with a little kid's lunchable. He has walked on the water. He has healed a man who has been blind since birth. In the next chapter, though it hasn't happened yet, he's going to raise a man from the dead. What Jesus is saying is, look, you know my claim. You have seen my proof. The problem with your lack of belief isn't me, it's you. You don't believe because you are not my sheep. Hashtag shots fired, okay? To a first century proud Jewish person, many of whom would have been considered shepherds to the flock to say you are not even in the sheepfold of God would have been the ultimate of all insults. And now let me give a little caveat here. This is the, the caveat part, okay? I need to deal with a verse here because notice that Jesus doesn't say, you are not among my sheep because you do not believe. He doesn't say that. What does he say? You do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Can I just acknowledge that's a tough verse, okay? That's hard to deal with. I tried to give Chris a sermon. He said he was busy. So I was like, well, it's in here. I got to deal with it, okay? Now, let me take a 90-second theological excursus to deal with this. Let me say the, the Bible explicitly states that God is sovereign over all things. It is God who chooses his sheep. It is God who calls his sheep. It is God who saves his sheep. And it is God who keeps his sheep. God is sovereign over all things. He is in control of all things. And our God does not live in simply a reactive posture toward his creation. If God were any less than fully in charge over all things, he would not be God. And so God is sovereign. God is good. God superintends and oversees everything in human history and over all creation because he stands as Lord over it. And yet he is good. And all the mysteries that that entails, we don't know how it works, but we affirm that God is God and we are going to let him be God and we are going to let him be sovereign. And yet, the Bible simultaneously and equally affirms that our human decision making is real. Listen, friends, you are not a puppet. God has made you with the ability to make real decisions and your real decisions, you are responsible for them because they are really yours to make, including repenting of sin, coming to Jesus and trusting him for salvation. And Jesus invites all to come to him. Second Peter says that he is willing that no man would perish, but that all would come to repentance and a saving faith in Jesus Christ. In Revelation 22, Jesus says, all who will may come. Now, I will admit, I 
to date, have not been able to perfectly harmonize these two truths in my three-pound, 34-year-old brain, okay? But here's what I know. Scripture affirms both truths absolutely, and God is sovereign, and God's brain is a lot larger than mine, and in his economy, these do not stand opposed but work together for his glory and for our good. And so until that last day, when I see the Lord face to face and have a greater understanding of these truths, here's what I know. I will rejoice in the sovereign saving work of my God. I will worship him as good and sovereign in control of all things. And I will plead with every man till my dying day to place their faith in Jesus Christ, who invites all to come and be sheep in the shepherd's fold. Amen? Amen. End of caveat. That was more than 90 seconds. Thank you, Dave. Here's what I do know for sure and where we're going to go in the next few verses. Jesus invites us to believe. And in believing, we define ourselves as sheep in his sheepfold. And there are innumerable benefits to being sheep in the sheep pen of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. And I want to give you three from our text this morning for, consi- for consideration. And so uh, here's the first one I would invite you to write down, and that is this. Jesus the true shepherd knows you. He knows you. Look at verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. Christ, or Chris dealt with that last week. And I know them. I know them. Tim Keller in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, has an amazing insight. He says, and this is a bit of a paraphrase, he says that to be loved and not known is comforting but superficial. He says, to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. He says, but to be fully known and fully loved is what it means to be loved by Christ. Deep down, every one of us longs to be known as we truly are and accepted and loved. And yet, because we are afraid that we will not be fully loved if we are fully known, we hide. We hide. The Bible explains this profoundly. It goes all the way back to Genesis 3 when our first parents were created in the garden and they were naked and unashamed. That sounds amazing. Hallelujah! Naked and unashamed, but when sin enters the world and its counterpart of shame, what happens? They hide. They clothe themselves and they hide. They hide from one another. They hide from God. And ever since our first parents in the garden, you and I have been in hiding. And we can hide behind religion, We can hide behind morality. We can hide behind rebellion and independence. We can hide behind the perfect family. We can hide behind a successful business career. But in our hiding, we are guarding ourselves lest we be faced with the rejection of not being fully loved. But here's what Jesus does for us in the gospel. Jesus comes along knowing us better than ourselves. He is the one that we cannot hide from. He knows our sins. He knows our insecurities. He knows our past. He knows our present. He knows our future. And yet the Bible says that he sees us in all of our brokenness and he takes our sin and he takes our shame and he deals with it on a cross. He then covers our nakedness with his robe of righteousness. And Christian, I want you to know that Jesus knows you fully and yet he loves you completely. I want you to take that in for a second. Don't let the familiarity of this truth keep it from sinking down deep in your heart because when you come to grips with this, it will change you. Some of you have experienced rejection from the people who knew you best. The marriage ended. The parental relationship was fractured. 
your own children have pushed away, and even now, the people who are the closest to you don't know all the truth about you. But Jesus, the true shepherd, he knows it all. He has not pushed away, and he has said, you are mine forever. I know you, and I love you. Jesus, the true shepherd, knows you. Second truth I would have you write down is this. Jesus, the true shepherd, leads you. He leads you. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Three kids at home, and one of my greatest goals in parenting is to not be needed anymore. (laughs) Now, don't get me wrong. I love my kids. I love that they need me, and boy, are they needy. My wife's saying amen. It's a needy situation in our house, and I love every minute of it. And yet, if I'm doing this thing right, over the next 15 to 20 years, they should need very little help from me. If they're all living in my basement at 30, something has gone very, very wrong. Amen? Lord, help me, Jesus, something has gone wrong. Now, in a similar way, God wants to grow and mature us, but in a very dissimilar way, independence is not his goal. Think about this. A sheep never progresses to be a shepherd. That's not even the goal. You don't graduate from being a sheep to being a shepherd. You go from being a wayward and wandering sheep to being a closely following sheep, but they always remain sheep. The goal of our shepherd is not our independence from him, but our growing dependence on him. This is what it's looked like for me. I met Jesus when I was 16, knew I was a sinner, knew I'd done some stuff, knew I needed salvation on that day. And so on that day, I trusted him and I received his grace. Then I got to college and I realized that I needed Jesus not just to get me to heaven, but to get me through the day. And I started a daily relationship with God in this word to hear his voice, to follow his lead. Then I get married, we start having kids, we get going, and I realize I not only need Jesus every day, I need Jesus moment by moment because Gavin, under the pressures, leading himself as the shepherd, does not go well. I need wisdom from his word, I need leadership, I need the power of his spirit, I need the encouragement of his fellowship, and I need a shepherd to lead me. And as much as I'd like to say Jesus is now... No, his work is now done in me, and I can take it from here. I just learned that you cannot run this thing on autopilot. I can't live off last year's spirituality. I can't live off last month's quiet time. I've tried it. The Christian walk is a daily, humble, and healthy dependence on Jesus, our good shepherd. We don't graduate from following Jesus. We just walk closer, and we trust deeper. And he is so, so good to lead us ever-present. So, so good. Friday morning, I was in the hospital visiting a man from our church, late 50s. He'd had a heart attack, got out of the hospital. Now he's back in the hospital because of some complications in a, you know, ridiculous amount of pain. And he's there, and we read some scripture together, spend some time. It's time to pray. And so, stand by the hospital bed and say, you know, what, what would you like me to pray for? As soon as I said that, I thought, that was a really dumb question. I think he would like some healing, like, uh, pray for his foot, you know. Oh, how about his heart, you know? Okay, so what do you want me to pray for? But he just looked at me, and he said, with all sincerity, Gavin, pray that through all of this, that Jesus would make my heart more like his. And I thought, that is the prayer request of someone who is following the good shepherd. This man has walked with Jesus for, you know, 
about as long as I've been alive. And yet in this moment, he's saying, would the shepherd draw me closer? Not only heal my heart, but make my heart more like his. What great news. We have a shepherd who will never stop leading us, and we wouldn't want it any other way. City Light, isn't it true that the good shepherd is a better leader of our lives than any of us? And we are at our best when we are following his leadership. Friends, there is no graduation from a posture of daily humble dependence and following the voice of Jesus. If the Lord grants me and I live in my 80s every day, I'm going to need to wake up, meet with King Jesus, and follow his voice until the day he takes me home. Jesus, the true shepherd, leads you. Last one I'd have you write down is this. Jesus, the true shepherd, keeps you. Verses 28 and 29. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You know, there's a lot of things I'm incompetent at. If you don't believe me, ask my wife or Chris. Uh, both are very well aware. There's many jobs I'm incompetent at. In fact, I had a job in college I was really incompetent at. For a very short stint, I waited tables at Famous Dave's on 60th and Ames. It's not there anymore, um, probably because of me. Now, (laughs) well, I, I like to think I'm generally good with people, but I have learned that I'm terrible at remembering details and multitasking. And so here's how it would go. When the guests would sit down, they would initially love me. I would ask them questions, make them laugh. We became friends. At the end of their meal, they hated me because they didn't get their food. I neglected their refill, and I never brought their check. And I just learned that I'm really incompetent at waiting tables. And so shortly after, I found another job, and I just let myself go from Famous Dave's. I may still be on payroll. I'm not even sure. I just quit showing up. It's not true. Well, maybe. You know who is not incompetent at his job? Jesus. If Gavin's your waiter, you can count on terrible service. But if Jesus is your shepherd, you can count on the fact that he will never lose you. See, it's in the job description of a shepherd to keep his sheep. And Jesus, our true shepherd, is batting a thousand. He never loses a sheep. Did you know the thing that keeps you a Christian isn't your ability to follow Shepherd Jesus? It's Shepherd Jesus' ability to keep you in the fold. And this has been a consistent theme throughout John. Listen to Jesus' confidence in verse 29. He says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. And so listen, if you are a Christian... You are one of Jesus' sheep. He holds you in his hand. And then in verse 30, what does he say? And no one can snatch them from my Father's hands. And I and the Father are one. Listen, if you are a Christian, you are duly held by the Son's hand and the Father's hand. And no one can approach that power. You are secure in his hands. It's his job description, not yours, to keep you in the fold. Now, let me just say, this is, not a, this is not a doctrine for theological textbooks only. This is not for theological debate and what if this and couldn't this and what about that. This is extremely practical to the saint and follower of Jesus. So let me just press this amazing truth in. Here's what this means. For the worn out mom who's thinking, have I lost my way? 
I barely have time to pray or read my Bible. I feel weak and discouraged. I can't hold on to anything. The promise of this text, the good news of this gospel, is that it is Jesus who is holding on to you, even in your weakness, especially in your weakness. For the man who said, man, I've, I've made a few wrong turns in life. Surely I've strayed too far this time. Surely I'm disconnected from the flock. The gospel promise is that no one will snatch you from the shepherd's hand, not even your own stupidity. And for the man who says, how could God keep such people in his fold who aren't keeping it right like me? The gospel reminder is that your grip that feels so strong is nothing more than the grip of a baby infant clinging on to his father's finger. Though it's a sign of trust and affection, it is not exactly holding you in your father's arm. What is holding you is his arm. It is the father that holds you fast to himself. It is the shepherd that keeps you in the sheepfold. Our good shepherd, Jesus Christ, holds us and he keeps us. So why, you ask, do we love, follow, and serve the good shepherd Jesus? Not so he'll keep us, but because he always will. Not so that God would be pleased with us, but because in Christ he already is. And so what is our job? We rest and we worship and we rejoice and we savor the keeping of our good shepherd. Amen? Jesus, the true shepherd, he keeps us. City Light, let me end by saying there is no shepherd like Shepherd Jesus. He is not our partner. He does not need our help. He is our leader and our provider and our savior who feeds us and leads us and keeps us. And he is the shepherd that we've all been longing for. Amen? We're going to respond to the word of God this morning by the taking of communion. Communion is the meal that God gives us to remind us that Jesus, the true shepherd, became the lamb of God who was slain. That Jesus, the true shepherd, is the shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. And so we take this meal, remembering the shepherd. Listen to our instructions out of 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord, but I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. In remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so this meal is in part somber, because as we come forward, we remember that it was our sin that required Jesus to lay down his life. But as we come forward for this meal, it's also celebratory and amazing, because we realize that it was God's incredible love that would pay such an extraordinary price to secure our place in the sheepfold of God. And so if you believe in Jesus, the one who came to live, die, and rise for your sins to give you eternal life, you're welcome to the Lord's table. Uh, The ushers will come forward. They will break the bread. You dip in the juice, partake whenever you're ready. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this meal is not for you. And yet, this could be the moment where you turn and trust Jesus. And for the first time, receive the Lord's meal uh, as an act of your faith. If you have any uh, food allergies, you got a station in the back. And there's a team of uh, volunteers that would love to pray for you if you needed any prayer in this time of ministry as well. And so, Jesus, we thank you that you are the good shepherd. It is so easy to get lost in this world. There are currents that want to pull us every which direction, and yet you are our anchor, and you are the one shepherd that we can follow without confusion, without chaos, but you lead us to truth and righteousness and eternal life. 
Jesus, right now, I'm thankful that I am fully known and I am fully loved, that I don't need to hide from you, but you have covered my sin and shame. You have made the way and you love me absolutely. Thank you, God, that you know us, that you lead us, and that you securely keep us in your hand. Oh, Father, even now, is there someone here who might pray and cry out for the first time? Would you with me? Jesus, I am a sinner. I thought I could shepherd myself through life and I have missed the mark. But Jesus, I believe that I am a sinner and that you are my great savior, that you are the son of God who came for me. And right now I surrender my heart and life to you. I receive the free gift that you give me. The verse 28 says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Right now I receive that gift, Lord. I trust you with my whole life. We pray in Jesus' good name, amen.